welcome back to the Pelvic Health Podcast. It is the end of June 2017. Uh, It's school holidays, so you will be hearing kids screaming in the background, and I can't seem to edit it out. Anyway, I'm your host, Lori Forner. I hope you've been enjoying these podcasts over the last couple years. It was always my intention to get some free education out there for the public, as well as professionals that are interested in pelvic health. In my own selfish way, it was always a way. It was always a way to interview some of the, you know, not hashtag sorry, but like air quote celebs in our field, um, and it's almost like little mini courses I got to have with them. And it was also a selfish way for me to practice my public speaking skills, which I hope are slowly improving. But I probably redo these intro parts about 10 times before I actually air them. Anyway, I wanted to talk to you before we do this podcast. Anthony Lowe, aka the physio detective, obviously shares the same passion for pelvic health. If you haven't noticed over the last 50 episodes, then you need to go back and listen to them because you will hear that. Anyway, a decision was made that it was time for us to part ways. No doubt he has ideas up his sleeves for a podcast at some point, so you won't have heard the last from him. And if you are missing him already, head to Facebook or social media because I don't think he ever sleeps. Anyway, I still plan to bring you information from the pelvic health world, and I hope you continue to enjoy listening. So let's get to today's episode. If you did not listen to episode number one, Fiona Rogers, who's a physio up in the Sunshine Coast here in Queensland, um, we interviewed her for our very first one. So go back and have a listen to that. She is a physiotherapist and she's a co-owner of pelvicfloorexercise.com.au, which is a pelvic floor online product distribution store and the sponsor of the last couple episodes, as well as today's episode. So today we are going to be talking about vaginal weights to help with pelvic floor muscle strengthening because it's a little bit controversial as to whether we should do it or we shouldn't do it or it's not doing the right thing. So we discuss you know, what it's good for, how it helps with feedback, how it helps work function, coordination, how you can progress them, which types there are, who should use them, who shouldn't. You know, they're not just about putting it in and doing nothing and going about your day. They're also not about putting them in and squeezing constantly against them. So they're not for everyone, but for quite a few people, they can be really, really helpful. So... I hope you guys enjoy this interview today. got Fiona Rogers here today with us for our podcast episode and Fiona was our very first guest that we interviewed for the podcast and that was I was looking at the date Fiona and it was two years ago in July which I know I can't believe it was that long ago so if you guys haven't listened to it go back and have a listen to it you'll have to scroll all the way down to the very 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 bottom and I messed up the order so there was like hers is first and then our zero 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 kind of interview uh, like our introduction so you have to just go all the way down you'll find it you'll hear everything we yeah we we talked about a lot of interesting things on that episode Mm -hmm. so thanks Mm. for coming back well thanks for having me and that first one was the first podcast that I had ever done as well so really (laughs) we've come a long way Laurie I know we are both nervous and to tell you the truth I'm still just (laughs) as nervous as ever Okay, so today we are going to talk about using certain types of weights to strengthen pelvic floor. So um, I will let you kind of give us a bit of a background on uh, the types of things that we're going to talk about and kind of why we might be thinking about using weights, because there's a bit of controversy surrounding this area, I think. Mm, which um, hopefully will make that a little bit clearer by the end of this podcast because, um, yeah, I mean, back in the days when they were first proposed, um, and that all goes back to 1985 with Plevnik, um, it was a new concept back then, and I think weights have gained a fairly bad rap over the years because a lot of people seem to think, and unfortunately a lot of the instructions that come with the uh, the weights are basically put them in and, and walk around and, and um, you don't need to do any pelvic floor exercises. Um, and so a lot of people have gained that thought that 
that per, you know you put a weight in, you're going to become hypertonic from from using them and cause cause pain. So hopefully, some of the stuff we'll talk about today um, will put that into perspective a little bit. And I think there's a lot of perspective that we can gain here. So um, if we just back up and clarify for people who may not understand what we're talking about, we're talking about putting weights where. In the vagina. Inside the vagina. Okay, Inside so it's not like, um, yeah, it's not like it's, you know, some... I'm not talking about the lady that walk, goes around and, you know... With a surfboard, yes. <laughs> We're talking very small weights to aid um, pelvic floor muscle strengthening. So I think, too, a lot of this comes back. Back in the, um, you know, there was a lot of research done in the back in the sort of 80s and 90s, and... And there's been a lot of um, like Cochrane reviews, et cetera, on weights. Some have been quite positive about them. Some have been, yeah. But there's never been really, from my searching, anything absolutely negative about them. Most of the conclusions have come back that um, we need to do more research, um, we need to do more numbers, because a lot of them have quite small um, sample sizes. And, um, you know, the positives have been that they can be a, um, a good adjunct to um, pelvic floor strengthening. Um, but I think, too, um, back then, you know, it's more like put the, put the weight in and um, we're trying to strengthen the pelvic floor. I think we've come a long way in the last 30 years, and a lot of what people are looking at now is functional activation. There is still, in my personal view, a big role for isolated pelvic floor strengthening in certain cases, um, in, mo- in many cases, but then we do need to, where the gap has been, we need to progress that onto functional work. And I see the um, the balls as or weights as a really good functional addition progression because I think too, um, I'm going to put my head on the chopping block here, I think generally as, as women's health physios, we're very good at that initial um, training and, and education of our patients, but we're not so good at that carrying on to the next stage of of function. So um, I think that's where pelvic floor weights have got a a good place to play, a part to play. And if you look at rehab that we do with other body parts, other muscles, and you look at the um, American sports medicine um, guidelines, you know, you're looking at maximal contractions, three sets of 10 to 15 um, maximal contractions, and you need to do it for five, once a day, and you need to, do they recommend five months of training to, to increase strength. So, you know, if you apply those principles to the pelvic floor, I just don't see why we do it so differently with the pelvic floor, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think that maybe some people come along the lines as, well, you're loading the pelvic floor when you do other types of functional exercises, if you're loading your bicep curls or you're doing squats and you're loaded, that you're loading the pelvic floor. So in theory, the pelvic floor should strengthen along with it. But I'm, you know, clinically, unfortunately, in many people and a lot of people, we don't see that happening. Yes, because they haven't learned how to do a correct pelvic floor contraction in the first place because they may have lost a lot of that reflex activation um, through pregnancy and birth um, is what's probably happening. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that, that's where we need to begin, that we've got that contraction. And and with, um, with weights, you are looking at something that, um, you know, it's measurable, it's cost-effective, they're discreet. Um, you know, if you look at some of the other devices that we use, like biofilm, feedback devices you have to be in a certain position to do them basically lying lying down so they're not very functional so i see weights as becoming um you know a device that you can use for feedback in a very functional way yeah because they're discreet you can get up you can walk around you can jump you can cough you can do all sorts of um, activities with the the vaginal weight in and it gives that feedback um to a teacher contraction you can test strength with the, the progressive weights because obviously as you can hold in a, a, a slightly higher weight, that would possibly indicate that you're getting stronger. Um, and it also helps you to exercise correctly. So you're identifying, you're testing, and you can you can exercise. So, and I think it's just something that we should revisit a little bit. Um, again, I'm not saying everybody needs weights, but if you're wanting to improve that functional side of things for women and progress them back to activities that they want to do, you know, you've got someone in the clinic, 
you've got them supine and you're getting them to do three sets of 10 maximal contractions. That's all very well. But what about when they get home, they're lifting the washing basket, they're lifting their kids, they're going to the gym. They really need, um, they need to do things that will assist them functionally in their everyday life. And we need to make sure that that's, uh, by the time it gets to that stage, that it's, it's coordinated. Yeah. So coordinating with intra-abdominal pressure. Um, and like you said, some people can do that without a weight, but there are people that absolutely. may not be able to do it or they don't know if they're doing it properly. Yeah. So, you know, if you're rehabbing a knee, you can see your knee, you can see it moving, you can see it, you know, when you're loading, if you're going from sit to stand, if you're going into squats, single leg squats, et cetera, if you're putting a weight on the end, they've got that visual feedback that they can see what they're doing, uh, which, of course, you can't do with your pelvic floor. So using something like a small weight um, for sensory feedback initially, um, and then when you start to do functional activation, you you know, if you're not coordinating correctly with, you know, diaphragm, abdominals, etc., you're going to force that weight out. So it gives that sensation of when to contract at the right time. Is it during the breath in, breath out? Is it during the exertion phase of something? Um, you know, so that you get that better feedback and coordination with um, the rest of the um, the muscular system or core, as, as everyone likes to uh, to call it. So does that make sense? Yeah. There's actually, there was another paper that I actually tried to get hold of. I've only um, been able to read the abstract on this, and that's by Hesse um, in 1991, um, where they looked at EMG of the pubococcygeus muscle whilst someone was using a cone in standing. And what they, this is back in 91, so what they showed then was like a crescendo, decrescendo um, pattern of, of muscular contraction. So, you know, as this, the weight started to fall, they saw, you know, a great gradual increase in muscle contraction and then letting go and the weight would start to fall again, which starts to really replicate what we're doing as a pelvic floor contraction. So what they concluded um, was that there was an improvement in strength, but also a change in the muscle activity um, towards a more physiologically coordinated contraction pattern. And isn't that what we're after with, with function? Yeah. So I just thought that was really interesting. I couldn't find, I couldn't get hold of the whole paper before we talked today, but I'm going to try and chase that one up. So, you know, we're looking at re-educating those reflex responses. Um, and, you know, for some women, those wearing a cone or a weight can be a real assistance in, in doing that. So that, you know, we talk about doing the nap when we cough and, and um, when we sneeze, et cetera. And so, and that's, we're retraining that reflex action of automatic contraction of the pelvic floor to give us urethral, um, assist the urethral closing pressure so I just thought that was an interesting one coming from you know quite some time ago whereas we seem to see now people are just talking about putting a weight in and doing nothing and that's where the criticism comes um of of weight and you know I heard you'll make someone hypertonic and you know when we look in perspective in a minute we'll talk about just how you know higher weight and what size they are I think it's unless you're doing a constant maximal contraction we're talking sub-maximal contractions Jim with with these weights in um you know certainly there'd be an argument if you were doing constant maximal contractions um that you you could generate you know a bit of hypertonicity there but we're talking about using them for a very short period of time as a training device and to assist with biofeedback. So I, I just think there's been a big skew towards the fear side of it. So when people are afraid that you're using them for a constant maximal isometric contraction, um, is that where people think that that's how people are using them or that's how you're supposed to be using them? Well, it's not how you're supposed to be using them, but I think that's how people think you're using them. And unfortunately, yes, yeah, some of the um, instructions that you see with some of these um, some of these weights would perhaps indicate that. And I have seen some people selling them with the instructions of keeping them in for hours at a time. I've seen instructions quite recently to put them in at night and wear them overnight, and you'll wake up with a pelvic floor that's working in the morning while you're sleeping. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just like to say right here, <laughs> um, if you 
when you buy them from us, you actually get a clinical sheet. I've made up clinical sheets that um, put them into clinical perspective and um, to teach people how to use them from a more clinical point of view and to use them as we, as, you know, women's health physios would much prefer people to do rather than follow the instructions of leaving them in for hours, etc. So, I mean, generally these weights started as um, like geisha balls, Benoit balls. There was all sorts of names for them. Um, and certainly with the balls that have got the weights inside, the extra weight inside it, it moves as you move, so you get a vibration. And, um, you know, they were originally developed uh, to improve sexual response. So, um, and some, you know, some of that background comes from people wearing them for quite some time throughout the day to um, improve or to actually provide orgasmic um, response. So, you know, I, I think we're using them more from a clinical point of view mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that that's where I come from, looking at them. How can we use these weights um, and cones to help from a clinical perspective? So, you know, one of the other... Um, one of the other studies I came across um, had at it out, and I can give you all the links to these studies um, to pop into your your bio later for after the the podcast. Um, is that this one in particular? It was done in Brazil. They looked at an active phase and a passive phase. So for three months they did the passive, the generally accepted, you know, put the cone in for a certain amount of time, um, and don't do any active exercise with it in. But then as they in did- as in still walk around and do daily chores or just passively from what I can can gather from it um and then they yeah I mean you can you can walk around um and do things but then they added in three months of active uh an active phase so they were actually getting them to actively do pelvic floor contractions with the cones in place for the second three months and they showed additional improvement in all study parameters uh, in the active phase as compared to the passive phase so, and these were women who had been clinically diagnosed via urodynamics um, with stress incontinence. So, you know, I thought that to me that was one that looked at using them actively, whereas most of the other studies, from what I can tell, have looked at them passively. Okay. So I think, you know, from what we know these days, we need to start looking at more active and functional um ways of, of using, you know, enhancing the treatments that we do with um, with our women. So, and the other, you know, and so what they were concluding there is that, um, you know, you're working more type 1 fibres with the passive um, use of the, of the weights and more type 2 with an active. And, you know, as we know, you lose um, type 2 fibres more quickly with the ageing process. So, you know, again, that could be another, in, you know, way of using them in, in the older uh, women looking at menopausal women Mm. to help improve that type 2 activation, which is, you know, one of the reasons why we start to see a lot more stress incontinence in women as they hit menopause. So apart from all the hormonal um, reasons, uh, one of the reasons is, you know, do we have enough type 2 fibres left to give us those fast, quick contractions? Yeah. If we so when you talk about passive, does that come back to pelvic floor muscle resting tone? Like well, exactly. Yeah. So um and and we all know that um, you know, there's bucket loads of evidence for um pelvic floor muscle training for improving um pop and SUI. And really what's the mechanism of that is that we're we're hoping to well not only just the reaction and the strength of the muscles under load, but it's also that resting tone. Mm-hmm. So if you've got improved resting tone, you're going to have a hiatus that sits you know, not, not such a great hiatus. You're going to have bulkier muscles, mm-hmm. which are going to provide better support for the um, the pelvic organs. And if you've got that strength and react- reaction um, there, you're going to be able to provide a quick, short, strong reaction force against a cough, a sneeze, a jump, etc., to get that urethral closing pressure improved. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, I mean, we want to get that balance where we're improving resting tone um, and, and the way to improve resting tone is to build bulk in a muscle. And, you know, that kind of brings us back to those principles of, um, you know, maximal contractions. But with other muscles, we're using weights to get those maximum contractions. So at some point, you know, some people will need 
an additional, you know, one way you can look at it is using um, a weight to help provide that, a small um, vaginal weight, uh, and then bringing that into the, the functional sphere where we're doing it whilst we're doing functional activities. So as far as progression goes, you know, you can start with them lying down. You can go into standing. You can then progress to um, walking. You can pro- pro- progress to doing ADLs, like emptying the dishwasher, hanging out the washing, making the bed. Um, you can then progress to things like stairs and to coughing. Can you keep that weight in whilst you whilst you do a cough? So um, you can look at the things that most likely to make that particular person leak. So if there's certain activities that, that a woman leaks at, Perhaps using a, a cone or a weight at an appropriate time in that rehab process might be able to help those reflex, um, you know, reactions to assist them in getting that urethral closure under load. Hmm. So, you know, it's just another option to to help progress, uh, which, as I said in the beginning, you know, I certainly feel that we're not as good as um, as good at is taking that to the to the next level. And, you know, you can see by all the discussions that go on um, in Facebook groups and people starting to do research in, in these areas is that we do need to be able to progress our women beyond three sets of 10 three times a day. Hmm. And I, is there any research looking at the... Because I think most of the research that I looked at was looking at urinary incontinence. Like there's nothing that's looking at the effect of using these when someone has a prolapse. No, most of them do look at at, um, at genuine uh, stress incontinence. Mm-hmm. Um, and also some have noted um, improvements with um, urgency as well, but, but um, it's making the assumption that it's because you've improved strength of the pelvic floor to help overcome that sense of urgency. So... Um, so urgency as in like detrusor overactivity and overactive bladder, like any kind of urgency? Like I'm assuming they just um, generalized urgency. They generalized urgency. And I mean, no, there are certainly, there's there's various types of urgency. So that, that um, comes down to, you know, clinical decision making as to whether it would be appropriate for a particular patient. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we do use those um, those techniques of, of uh, a pelvic floor contraction to help dampen down a, a detrusor um, contraction when someone's having a um, an episode of, of urgency. So, but, you know, looking at the research, just because, um, you know, and as you well know, research can be interpreted anyway, which, you know, biased one way or the other. But just because we get a non-committal outcome um, doesn't necessarily mean that something doesn't work. It could mean that there's been a poorly conducted trial um, or as the case with a lot of these that have done with uh, weights and cones, um, the, the numbers haven't been big enough. So, you know, a lot of them are done on quite small numbers. And my personal view from reading through a lot of them is that, you know, when they often compare them to pelvic floor muscle training. So they'll compare pelvic floor muscle training to cones or to, you know, other types of treatment. But it's very hard to see what were their protocols for pelvic muscle training, and that seems to be all over the place as well. And they don't seem uh, to list any confounding factors. Like obviously when a lot of the studies were done, no one was kind of talking about whether or not there were muscle defects or um, other issues. So that they, like we don't really know enough about the patient populations that they used. That's true. And also, um, you know, let's face it, we're, you know, we're all, I know I'm a bad patient um, and I've currently got a a shoulder issue that I'm I'm treating. I don't do my, or remember to do my exercises as much as I should. So, uh, you know, I just wonder about compliance as well, like with our patients. Um, you know, particularly if you're saying you must do this three times a day, and um, which I, I generally get my patients to do maximal contractions once a day when they're, they're training their pelvic floor, then a lot of people won't remember that three times a day. Um, or you, you have know, to say to your toddler, hold on, mummy's just got to go put her, her vaginal weight in and then now let me take it out and wash it. Yeah, which, I mean, it's probably a much easier thing to do. You go to the loo, pop it in, and then, you know, you, you can do it. But, you know, even on, on some of these papers, they're, they're looking at three and four times a day, which I don't think is very practical. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if you come back to why would you use a, a, a weight, one of the reasons I feel can be that um, 
you know, it, it might remind you to do them, even if you're doing it like once a day. And that brings me back to, you know, using the, the, the standard strengthening um, recommendations of maximal contractions, three sets of, you know, 10 to 12 once a day. So, you know, it, it, I think that can be useful there. I mean, what other sort of rehab has fun toys that can help with it was another, um, you know, consideration to make. But, you know, it can make people more compliant. It might make it for some women more attractive to do. And if someone's going to do their rehab by using a, a weight compared to, you know, they couldn't be bothered if they haven't got that, um, uh, you know, uh, weight to help them do it, then, you know, again, it could be a good reminder for them to uh, to do it. I'm, I'm saying all of this in the premise that I feel that they're, it's more for a progression thing and more to, to do those functional activities. Once you've got someone actually aware of how to do a contraction, they've started to build up a bit of strength, it's an easy way of, of helping to improve function. Hmm. or feedback during function. So, um, and, you know, as I said before, doing it with those activities that are more likely to make them leak. You know, is it when they, they go up, stair, up and down the stairs? Is it when they lift the washing basket, etc.? So, you know, for feedback, you know, it's a very cost-effective, um, easy thing to do um, to, to practice with a, a small weight. What about during gym activities or yoga or Pilates? Like, can you wear that to do any of those? Like, can, are there exercises that you shouldn't do with it? I mean, I certainly wouldn't run a marathon with one in there. But, you know, if you're doing short amounts of activity, yeah. um, you know, you might get someone to wear it for a part of their Pilates class um, so that they're getting that feedback during it. So being um, inverted or in different positions doesn't make a difference or doesn't cause any adverse issues unless somebody has some pathophysiology where they actually shouldn't be wearing it in the first place, which we'll talk about in soon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you, if you're inverted, obviously it's not going to do, um, it, it, no, but it's in like, you know, when you do bridging and your hips come higher than your shoulders, but you come back down. Yeah. It's moving it around. And the issue for that would be. <laughs> As in if someone had a prolapse. And they were. Yeah, we talk about yeah, yes. but you know, if you've got a prolapse, it's we, we're not. I don't recommend that you're using a vaginal weight. Um, and you know, certainly on our website, we've got that well explained as to why. Is because if you put a weight in, if you've got a reasonable prolapse, I'm sort of talking like a grade two, um, it can easily get stuck up behind the prolapse, and it's not going to do anything. Yeah. So um, it. it if you're doing, uh, if you've got one in and you're doing a bridge, it would, you know, if it's already gone up behind the prolapse, then yeah, it's just going to sit there. So it's not going to be doing anything, but it's not going to go up above and then down below and up above. Yeah. It'll just go up above and get stuck. But didn't, isn't there certain shapes and sizes that are okay to use for a prolapse? For a, um, a mild prolapse, then the single balls are um, recommended as being okay. Um, you know, certainly sometimes these things are a bit of trial and error to see what will work. I certainly wouldn't um, recommend someone with a large prolapse to even try um, a ball. We'd be looking at, um, you know, other ways of, of training their pelvic floor. But um, So this yeah. is where it gets tricky. So what do you it's, consider a large prolapse? Because it's so hard when exactly. so many people have one, yet this would be a really useful tool. And we still don't, like we use the POP-Q, which is a certain type of clinical examination to give us certain measurements of where, you know, the bladder is sitting compared to the opening of the vagina or the cervix or the rectum. We still don't actually have normal values, um, they've given, like now they're looking at cutoffs as in what's significant and their definitions of significant are based on someone's symptoms, not even exactly. this is normal and this is abnormal. No one can see my finger quotes anywhere. But so when you say, like, what would you, you say stage two, which is within one centimeter, is it one, it's one centimeter? Of the introitus, yes. yeah. So inside or outside, a reasonable way down the vagina. So if you're putting a ball in to sit, because the idea is that they you want them to sit up around the levators. Yeah. Um, if your prolapse has come below the level of the hiatus, then yes, you will probably be a possibility that when you insert a weight, it may sit up above the um, the prolapse. Okay. 
Yeah, and as you say too, it, it's very hard to say because some women have, you know, a significant prolapse. We could be, you know, at the introitus and they're not symptomatic. And other women who've got what we would grade, say, as a, a one, um, who's quite symptomatic. Mm. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, you've got to make that sort of, um, you know, take those clinical considerations into um, account when you're, you're looking at choosing what you might use. So... Um, you know, and that, that, you know, you're talking about size, et cetera. So that would bring me to general rule of thumb. Um, it goes by the level or the, the size of the hiatus. So for those, that's the, the, the gap between the two sides of the left and the right side of the, the pelvic floor. The so deep, The deep pelvic floor. The so deep if, pelvic floor. If, so, um, yeah. if the general public is listening, it does, do not look down and go, <laughs> what size am I? No, and you know, and that all comes down to um, you know mainly the bulk of the the deep layer of the pelvic floor. So, if let's just put this in, in into perspective a little bit, because um, you know I often have people look at a, a ball or something and go, oh my gosh, that's huge. The largest width of balls that um, that we have is thirty six millimeters. Okay, so that's one and a half inches, and the biggest in length is a double ball, um, a double joy ball, and that's um, 11.4 centimetres. So in old terms, if we're thinking um, in inches, that's four and a half inches. And I'm saying it in inches so that you can compare that to the size of a penis. I was going to ask you, what would that be in compared to, I know all penises are different, but let's just think. They all are different. And, you know, if you ask a a male compared to a female as to length of a penis, there's going to be a difference of opinion there. (laughs) And girth. In reality, the largest balls that we sell are four and a half inches long and one and a half inches wide. Okay. So if you want to put that into perspective, if you look at the size of, you know, if you're sexually active, look at the size of an erect penis, um, I think that the balls are going to come in second on on that, um, you know, sizing. So, and we start with... um, the, the two main types, we've got the, the cones and then we've got the balls. So the balls are all larger than the cones. So to make that choice between using a cone and a ball, um, and we're talking Aquaflex cones here, are the main ones that certainly here available in Australia, um, small cone weighs eight grams, okay? And so the large cone by if, itself, Sorry, if you're talking about an Aquaflex cone, that's the cone without any weight in it, is that right? Without any weight in it, the small cone weighs eight grams and the large is 12 grams. A regular tampon weighs four grams before you insert it. And I did a very scientific experiment this morning and put a regular tampon in a glass of water. So a full tampon, uh, you know, if you, it's weighs 20, well, that one weighed 24 grams. Oh, wow. So, you know, when people say, you know, a weight's going to pull a, a prolapse down or weight's going to make you overwork, et cetera, if you put that into perspective, women wear tampons all the time until they're full. Yeah. Um, and I think, to you know, if you look at the, the weight of a pessary, is something around 40-plus grams, the weight of a, um, a ring pessary. Mm-hmm. So in, in just trying to get a bit of perspective here and, in, in, and as far as weight and, and size goes, if we start with the cones, um, the smallest cone is 20 millimetres um, and the largest is 27, so they're not that big. And the rule of thumb, and there's a little thing on our website that you can link to that um, teaches you how to, to check um, size-wise which would be best for you, is this: you, if you've got a smaller hiatus, then you're going to do well with the um, Aquaflex. If you've got a much larger hiatus, um, you're going to need to go up to the size of a, a, a single or a double ball. So, and when we say double, they're not double sideways; they're double lengthways. So, it just adds to the weight. It doesn't add to the width. If that makes sense. But I know people look at them and go, "So I have to put two balls in? Like, how do I get that? Do I that not back. just let that one hang out?" Yeah, no. Give that back to perspective. As we said before, the length yeah. of the longest double balls we've got is four and a half inches. Yeah, I think so, sometimes they look at it because there's two to they're too connected that if it was just one big long one where rather when they're like I've put one in what do I do with the other one I'm like you have to put that in too yeah yeah but it just sort of you know gently pushes up in yeah so um you know perspective wise um you know I I think you know it does freak some people out I guess but you have to look at um in comparison to other things that we insert into into the vagina and it's really not that um 
really not that scary. Can, sorry, um, can you elaborate on what else you were talking about that would be inserted into the vagina? Um, let me think. We were talking penises. We were talking um, tampons. What if you go to have a when you go to have a medical examination, you'll have a speculum inserted. Okay. I wasn't sure if you were crossing the line and going into vegetables or something <laughs> that I was a bit uh, scared of. No. Well, keep this um, keep this very um, clinical and and. Um, Thank you, and we will also just put the disclaimer out there that nobody should put any vegetables inside. <sighs> Vaginas, yes, no. <laughs> and also we don't use these balls um, anally either. These are designed very specifically for, for vaginal use. Yeah. Um, okay, so you, they're progressive as well. So um, the if you're looking at Aquaflex, you can progress um, from the weights, go from like a 5-gram up to um, 55 grams in total. So you can play around with the weights in that. So you can start with the large cone, add the weights, and then if you progress, you, not everyone will progress to the small cone because, again, that depends on the size of the hiatus, but you can progress to the small cone with the, the weights, which will make it harder to hold in. So technically, if you can hold a tampon in comfortably, then generally you'll find the Aquaflex will be um you know, the size that you can use. If you can't hold a tampon in, then you're more likely to need to go up to a larger diameter device, which would be the, the rounder balls. And some of the balls around, some of them are of a more elliptical shape. Comes down to comfort, I guess, um, and what you prefer. But the, the, the balls, the rounded balls, all have um, a removal loop on them the ones that are more elliptical the joy balls um actually have like a little hook loop so the entire thing goes into the vagina and to remove it you have to just insert a finger um like you would with a pessary um yeah. or a, a diaphragm um and just gently loop it loop it out so you know um and both of those types of balls and along with Luna Beach, which is another really um really nice product because it can be progressed weight wise um they all have the extra, it's like a stainless steel ball within the ball. So you get that vibration as you move around and do things. So that can also add to the feedback, um, the sensory feedback. And, you know, there is, um, you know, there is a the theory too that the vibration from the, the ball can help to activate the, um, the pelvic floor muscles. So... You know, there's progressive ones. You can go a single and then progress onto a double. Um, and then there's ones like the Lunar Beads, which come with four balls, which you can, you know, do various combinations to give you various weights so that you, you can progress. But, you know, if, if we're going to have the discussion about functional um, uh, progression of, of, of exercise, just a single ball or a single cone can be um, quite an adequate to do what you were talking about before. Maybe, you know, working out in the gym or doing a um, uh, doing a, a Pilates class, so that you're getting that feedback and awareness. It's not so much about adding lots of weight. It's more about let's get that coordinated function of the pelvic floor and the diaphragm and controlling the intra-abdominal pressure. So some women can have a great pelvic floor contraction on, on um, examination, but you then put them into that functional um, situation where they're, they're lifting weights or, or doing their activities and they start to bring in those accessory muscles, the external obliques, the rectus. They've got poor coordination with their diaphragm, creating lots of intra-abdominal pressure that they can't control with their pelvic floor. So as an isolated contraction, they may be quite good with the pelvic floor but when you bring it into function it may not be playing the game as well as it should mm -hmm. if you want to so um you know i see that as a a, a very um, applicable use of um, a vaginal weight when you're trying to take that rehab up to the next the next stage yeah. so you know you, you can look at other biofeedback devices which will actually pick up intra-abdominal pressure Sorry, um, before we go into the intra-abdominal pressure devices, if that, that's what you were going to... Well, I'm not going there. Okay. I'm just making that comparison okay. um, in the fact that, um, you know, uh, uh, that's a whole other um, discussion topic um, and that, you know, you can teach people to correctly um, coordinate so they don't pick up the intra-abdominal pressure. However, what I'm saying here is 
having a weight in the vagina, a small weight or a small ball, if you're producing intra-abdominal pressure and not, um, you know, um, using the pelvic floor to counteract it, that weight's going to start to come out. So it's just really good feedback for, you know, getting that nice coordination, um, you know, particularly under load. And it's not going to pick up accessory. It's not, you know, it, it's it, – well, sorry – yeah, it, it, it's not going to falsely pick up accessories. If you use those accessory muscles, if you grip with your abs, your, you know, your external obliques, you're going to create a whole lot more intra-abdominal pressure, which is going to be felt down in the pelvic floor and hence, you know, with the, the ball starting to, to slip out. And if you grip with your adductors or glutes, it's probably not going to hold it? No, no. So, you know, yeah, exactly. So you, you really need that pelvic floor activation for it to to work you're not going to hold it in with anything else but the levatas and if they're strong enough to counteract what's happening up above with the intraabdominal pressure or coordinated enough then um you know you, you know that you're using the right muscles and you're training in the in the correct way so and i think it, you know even taking it to that next level of, of doing it with people lifting larger weights or doing um you know more impact things at the at the gym we're talking a very small weight but very powerful feedback for these ladies mm-hmm. so um you know i think there is a role there to um to, you know, to use these to help get them that good coordination because you may be able to control intra-abdominal pressure to a certain degree in everyday activities. You go up to that next level where you're, you're doing something more, uh, more extreme exercise-wise, that's sometimes where those ladies start to get into problems. They start to, you know, leak or, or, or feel that, that bearing down. So, you know, perhaps we could use them there to improve that coordination at a higher level. Yeah. So if 50 grams is like the max for Aquaflex cones, are, what is the, the, you said the balls only well, the have a single ball, weight? Yeah, single balls, are, you know, they're roughly around 40 to 45 grams, okay. um, depending on the brand. And the doubles, you're looking at um, uh, somewhere from 74 up to 85. The maximum is 85 grams for, for the doubles. Okay. So, you know, again, it's not that huge a weight and if we I only I did my little n equals one experiment on a regular tampon um you know for people who are wearing super tampons a full super tampon is going to weigh more than the 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 regular one that I measured at 24 so you know I, I just think we need to perhaps put a little bit of perspective on this I'm not saying that everyone should be using weights. I'm just saying I think there is a very big um, place for them hmm. in, um, in rehab and in taking our ladies to that next level and that we shouldn't be afraid of them in the fact that um, they have had that bad wrapping that, you know, people just assume there's this constant contraction. Hmm. Um, and, you know, if you bring that back to function, okay, even if you just put them in and you walk around, you're not gripping your pelvic floor the whole time you're walking around. You get nice rhythmical action of of your whole pelvic girdle. And, you know, we don't do anything or we shouldn't be doing any action or activity where we're just holding grip, grip, grip. Yeah. So, you know, that would bring us to, you know, who shouldn't be using a, um, you know, a vaginal weight. And certainly anybody who is experiencing um, – pelvic pain of any sort i you know would strongly advise them not to be using some you know a device like this uh you know to um improve strength um because generally women like that um okay they often do need strengthening but they need to go through that whole process of um you know they've got a tight weak muscle so they need the whole process of lengthening relaxing and getting good um contract relax happening before we even go near the, the strengthening aspect of their of their rehab so you know if you're experiencing you know pain um pain with intercourse or, or sexual activity or pain when you're going to um use the bladder or bowel um or pain in the the tailbone area you know any of those sort of um conditions that we see in the clinic then no you shouldn't be looking at these cones as your first line of um you know treatment 
And none of them should be used during intercourse, I would just like to ask, because I think we'd heard about one of them was suggesting that it should be used during intercourse. Not one of the ones you have, but another company or brand. Um, yeah, no, I certainly would never um, encourage anybody to have anything else in their vagina apart from a penis when they're having intercourse or a sex toy, um, depending on, you know, what they're, they're um, using during their, their sexual activity. Um, no, I, you know, and, and are you talking about jade eggs there? Or? Yes, I wasn't sure if we should be actually saying the, um, the name if we're going to speak ill of... I I wouldn't necessarily say a whole lot because it's not an area I'm hugely familiar with because we don't sell them. Um, So I haven't done a lot of research into them apart from the fact that if you are wanting to progress, then um, you have to look at size and weight. So a larger device, like the larger balls, are easier to hold in a vagina if the muscles are weaker, okay? So a large, small, large, sorry, a large diameter ball with a low weight yeah. will be retained in the vagina easier than a small ball with a greater weight, okay? So that's why we progress from a small um, ball up to, you know, a higher, higher weight. If you've got a jade egg, and it's larger so that, you know, it can sit properly in the hiatus if you've got a larger hiatus. A large jade egg, it's solid, so it's going to be heavier. If you've got a smaller diameter jade egg, which we go to the smaller diameters to progress our um, our weights with, say, the Aquaflex because, um, you know, you, you have to work harder to hold a smaller thing into the vagina. Mm-hmm. But they can't make it heavier if it's a jade weight. It's going to be lighter. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you can't, I can't see how you can progress them. Oh, yeah, because you can't go small to large because you're kind of still going harder. Much, much heavier, but you're going a lot bigger. So, um, you know, that's, you know, but we're looking at things probably more from a clinical perspective. We see women who are starting off, you know, with a weaker pelvic floor and the larger hiatus. So, um, and there, there is some discussion as to the type. You don't always know what um, materials you're getting. So I believe that with some, some of the jade eggs, it can actually be quite porous, the material. And so, you know, that, that could possibly increase the, the probability of um, infection and harboring bacteria, et cetera. So, um, so no, I'm not going to be negative about them at all. Um, and I know a lot of people that, you know, in, in a lot of areas they, or circles, they, they like to use the jade eggs, but certainly not from a clinical perspective with pro- progressing our patients. Would I be recommending something like that? Okay. Um, you know, and it's, it's more too from that perspective of not being able to get the weights and the sizes correct, but Definitely to answer your first question, um, and I'm sure there's many people out there who probably argue with us from saying this, but I, I, I wouldn't encourage the use of them during intercourse as well. So, um, yeah, and a lot of a lot of the times when you see them sold, they're, they're advocating wearing them all day. Okay. Yeah. So again, you know, it's just not something that I personally agree with, coming from my background. So. Yeah. So yeah. even at a light weight, they shouldn't wear it all day. Like any, even the one, not, I don't just mean the jade eggs, but the stuff that you have as well. Huh. Would you put a weight on your ankle and wear it all day so that you can constantly exercise? So there you know, are some people out there that would do that. Possibly. Okay. But, you know, let's bring it back to our general rehab principles, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, doing your, um, you know, you're training for short periods of time, um, you know, what advantage are you going to have of fatigue? And, yeah, then that's the point where you might fatigue muscles and, you know, decrease blood flow and, and, and so forth and, and create a, um, a, a situation where you, you're getting muscles that are cramping, basically. Or maybe so, they're not even working them because it's not hard enough. As in, like, it's exactly. it's in there and it's just not enough of it's not enough load so they can keep it in there all day because it's not doing anything. Well, that's true. But, you know, your, your pelvic floor doesn't constantly work to hold a tampon in, does it? That would be, yeah. you know, oh. that just sort of sits there, you know, when you're talking these, these lower weights. But certainly, um, you know, you're not going to be wanting to hold a heavier weight in for long periods of time. There's mm. just no 
clinical reason for it and there's no um i would i if, if anyone's got any alternative opinions on that i'm fine to, to to talk about it or hear it but um you know i just can't see it um being of any great advantage to to be doing it all day mm. yeah can i ask you maybe are there any other types of vaginal weights that you have used or you would use or you recommend to people other than the balls and the cones, like the barbells? Yeah, we, we sell the pelvic bar, but that's um, – and there's another one called Energy. They're up around the 300-plus grams, and, you know, that's way on the other side of the, the scale. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, certainly from a rehab point of view, we, we, we tend to stick at the, the lower end, um, you know, weight-wise, and I think they're certainly a lot more functional. For those people who don't know, Fiona and her company is one of the podcasts sponsors so pelvic floor exercise is sponsoring the podcast or at least this podcast and i'm sure a few others in the future so thank Mm -hmm. you for being the, the our very first sponsor it's very exciting this podcast is sponsored by pelvic floor exercise pelvic floor exercise is australia's trusted online pelvic floor store bringing together the very best pelvic floor rehabilitation products available on the market to make choosing and buying easy and discreet Backed by the clinical knowledge and medical buying experience of the owners, husband and wife team, Fiona and Craig Rogers, you are assured of quality and excellent customer service. Secondary to product sales, the website has an ever-growing resource section for both customers and health professionals, as well as a strong social media presence, fulfilling Fiona's extreme passion for educating and helping men and women with pelvic health issues. So check out www.pelvicfloorexercise.com.au. In summary, I think, you know, we need to look at... um put things into perspective on the size and the weight that we're actually talking here um, and put it into perspective as far as as research goes. um, You know, a lot of it has looked at um, cones and weights versus um, pelvic floors where exercises, as we talked before, um, we know we don't always know what those protocols are. And, um, you know, I see why can't they be done together? You know, so teaching, using them to teach pelvic floor or using them to progress pelvic floor exercises, but, you know, they can be a really good adjunct to um, progressing that functional um, side of our training, our pelvic floor training, which um, is a huge part. You know, it, it's no point in having a nice, strong pelvic floor that can't react because it hasn't learnt or re-educated that, that uh, reflex activity in controlling um, intra-abdominal pressures. And, and um, you know, when you need to be able to do that without thinking as you're doing activities. You don't want to have to stop and think as you, you know, go to get that um, forehand in, in tennis um, or, you know, go for that high ball in, in netball or, or whatever activity you're doing. You don't want to have to have to stop and think, oh, I've got to, you know, do the knack or squeeze my pelvic floor Hmm. you want to get to that point again where that has become automatic and you know just one way of of helping that um to to happen yeah oh well thank you so much for your knowledge and for for coming back on the podcast thanks for having me laurie okay bye bye everyone